This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life. And the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day. And I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition, or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Dory 1, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Are you trying to start a business? That is a theme and talk of today's episode number 143 with Ryan Estes. Welcome back to Military Veteran Dad, guys. I'm your host, Ben Cloy. And today we're going to dive into entrepreneurship, which isn't a theme we always talk about, but we do have some good episodes throughout the history of Military Veteran Dad of people talking about entrepreneurship and how it can help us. Starting a business, it has been this big theme we've seen over the past 20 years, post 9-11 veterans leaving the military and one that continues to see no end coming soon. The idea of finding our next purpose and having it be where we get to be in the driver's seat has proven to be the magic bullet to ignite that fire within a veteran. Today, I'm talking with Ryan Esty, who owns Kickcaster, a podcast guesting agency, to talk about how he got started and why it became the only way he would go forward in life and how to make sure your family is at the center of that conversation and the design of your life going forward. Ryan is the co-founder of Kickcaster. He has owned a media company and marketing agency for the last 10 years. For eight of those years, he hosted the Founders Podcast Talk Launch, consistently ranked in iTunes' top 100 podcasts. So he knows how to make this happen, and he's been surrounded with people talking about entrepreneurship for a long time. He is married and has two kids and has no intention of slowing down, and he is always learning and creating more, and he's adding daily intention so that his family always stays at the center. And his kids are just beginning that transition into adulthood. So he's at this next season of life where things really start changing. They get exciting where he gets to step back a little bit, but then also watch his kids go out into the world and start and do something. So without further ado, let's just dive into today's episode. And as always, hang on to the other side for my big takeaway. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan. Thanks for having me, Ben. I appreciate it. Today, we are traveling all the way out to Denver, Colorado, and Ryan Estes is the founder of Kitcaster, which might initially sound like, why is someone from Kitcaster, which you might not even know what that is, but it's a podcast promotion guest booking company. And what I liked about Ryan was his story of how, I mean, anytime you find an entrepreneur, there's always an origin story that you had to rewire your entire thinking, because oftentimes most people aren't issued this kind of thinking that it takes to like do something that most people sound super crazy. So let's go to that moment, Ryan. What was that like origin story that is like something's not working here and I need to ask a better question? 
You bet. You know, Kitcaster, like you said, we're a podcast booking agency. Um, I've been doing podcasts for 10 plus years and have always loved it. I've done advertising and podcasts. I've produced other people's shows. I had my own show, loved it. And, you know, always found it a little bit impenetrable professionally because there's so many moving parts in podcasting. So kind of when I directed some of my entrepreneurial principles towards podcasting, I wanted to splinter something um, off of that big chunk that I could scale. Um, so a colleague of mine, Brandy Whalen, and I had a kind of a breakfast and we're like, what can we do in podcasting, you know, looking for ideas. And this idea of a podcast booking agency was kind of born. Um, so from there, we, we created kind of a pilot program um, that was successful. So we wrapped a brand around it and launched it officially September 2019. So let's go to the moment where because I want to go a little bit deeper into the, the origin of their who are you to even think that you're capable of launching a podcast company? Because that's a really big thought to get over. And the reason why I want to go there is because entrepreneurship for veterans is something that's like this holy grail that I've learned within, especially this post 9-11 veteran, that we're, we're wired for something bigger. We're looking for a deeper purpose. We often don't get told that entrepreneurship is that vehicle or could be that vehicle. And we have to like just even believe that we could be a guy that does that. So what was that process looking like? And I'm also interested, like, who were some of the people in your life that helped breathe that life that lets you even think that that was possible? Because sometimes it's like, you're, you can have, you can either have people supporting you or people pulling you back down. So I'm wondering where it was for you. Yeah, you know, probably my biggest inspiration entrepreneurially have been from just having god awful bosses and hating it. <laughs> so Amen. You know, I, I just, I was uh, dealt some tyrants early on and I was like, this is uh, impossible for me. Um, so I, I brought a lot of enthusiasm and years ago, kind of my first real uh, risky foray into entrepreneurship, I had two young children and my wife was like, yeah, okay, sure. We'll rent our house out and move in with my mom and we'll give this thing a go. <laughs> So. That sounds a really supportive wife. Like that's like uh, you struck gold on that support right there, man. Well, I had a very, very fancy and thick business plan that went straight out the window in the first six weeks and realized I was in big trouble. Um, you mean life doesn't work according to paper <laughs> automatically? Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> can't oh, wish see, it into a, into existence on a Google Doc. Hey, here, here. By the third month, you see, we have excellent revenue. You know, so. <laughs> That didn't happen. Um, that that first business I kind of launched with was a, a natural foods brokerage. We would take uh, products. If you made some like healthy chips, let's say, we'd introduce it to Whole Foods. Um, and you know, th it was a slow burn and it, it was a good business, but I got out of that pretty quick and moved in kind of more of a digital space, which is kind of where I spent 10 years. Um, in that 10 years, uh, my wife and I got more and more accustomed to launching products. So one thing about entrepreneurship that as you're getting into it, you have to realize that like it's very dangerous um, because you'll end up sinking time and you'll sink money into something. Um, and if you don't know if it's going to work, it, it it's, could be catastrophic. You know, so as an entrepreneur, I set up kind of a standard to validate um, the, the ideas I had, you know, because one thing that entrepreneurs do is they fall in love with their ideas. You know, it's like I got an idea for a soap spitter 
and you just go in the shower, you hit the button and it sprays your whole body with soap. And you could just obsess about this soap spitter idea for months and months and months, not doing anything for it, you know, wasting time. Maybe you start investing some money into figuring it out before ever finding out if it can make money. Um, I did that. So, <laughs> so basically my criteria to, to decide if it's going to, if I'm going to work on a project, an entrepreneurial project, it's got to meet three requirements. One, it's got to be fun. You know, if it's not fun, I'm just not generally going to want to do it, you know? So I need something that's fun because it'll attract me to it. Um, it has to be of service. You know, I do believe that we're here uh, to make a positive impact on the planet and uh, the work is where I spend a majority of my time. So that's important to me. Um, and it has to make money is the third. Um, if it's, if it's not making money or if it doesn't, it's not making dollars, it doesn't make sense. Ultimately I'm responsible. I have, you know, wife, two children, and I am here to, to earn a living and I have a short amount of time to do that. So it's really got to hit those three things. You know, if I find a project that's fun, it's of service and it's making me money, then kind of exactly what you asked is the final real validation, just the gut check. Like, am I the right person to be doing this right now? You know, because timing is important. You know, it's like all this, it's fun. It's of service. It's, um, it's making me money, but like, am I the guy to do this? Is, is there somebody in a better place, which maybe it asks the question, really, can I be the best in the world at this thing? Because if you're not interested in being the best in the world, then why even do it? You know, it's like, you're just going to be like, well, I'll be one of the other people that are doing that too. And I guess I can be pretty good. That, that's not a real bullseye to aim at, you know? So when I look at myself and it's like, okay, it's hitting my validation and I feel like I can be best in the world at this and I can maybe bring something new, um, then I know then this is something I need to focus on. And what I love about that advice is I am a serial idea guy. I have so many ideas that I have no idea what to do with. I have a little book here that's called The Little Book of Big Ideas where I write them down so that way I don't forget them. And sometime later in my life, I can go back and look and see which idea is supposed to hit the road. And the idea that not every idea is the right idea and that you're the right person for that idea and almost being like a, a gift giver of ideas because some people are stuck without an idea. And you're like, you know what, this idea would really transform this friend. And then they change it and then they go launch the world. But they always remember who started it, not in the context of like monetary game, but this is how you build almost your, like your wealth network. Because when you make these types of big deposits of like helping people get something that they want, as Zig Ziglar, Zig Ziglar said, you can have everything in life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. Knowing that, seasoning it with, will you be the best? That is another, I really love that insight. And for me, I know when I was trying to figure out the right idea, which I had no idea, I had five ideas of a podcast, none of them any remotely close to each other. One of them was like helping uh, hotels become more hospitable and like being nicer to the customers. The other one was helping uh, trade shows run better, like just really random places. And through some coaching I got, I realized that this, because I was a dad, I got three young kids, I'm a dad, military veteran, this idea aligned with the season that I was in. And so that's when I started running to it. But that is such a hard moment to one, trust yourself enough to go towards it, have the courage to believe you can do it. And then actually no shit, go do it. Like that's, that's where the real rubber hits the road for entrepreneurship. 
It's really true, you know, and it's scary and ideas can be overwhelming. Some people, like you said, are blessed with so many and some people don't have any, you know, um, and I like your, your book of ideas. I think that's really smart, you know, for me, managing ideas and prioritizing them because a lot of it is timing too. You know, it's like it, it reached my criteria, but it's like right now is just bad timing. Um, so what, what I do with my ideas is I'll use kind of a, a Trello board and the Trello board is basically like a digital post-it note. So you have kind of these columns. And if you think about them in, as post-it notes, you're just putting up ideas from left to right um, in columns, you know? So if idea, idea one, two, three, four is all these different podcast ideas, then what you can do is start to add to those and prioritize. So I would prioritize uh, the thing that I really want to work on as being furthest to the left. Um, one thing about ideas that's really important for me is to get them out of my head. And that's mostly for peace of mind, because otherwise I'm walking around with ideas and I feel like I'm holding them. Like I, if I have to hold on to this idea, if and someone bumps me, it, I'm going to spill them all. <laughs> I'm going to spill all the ideas. Yeah. So like in order to sleep at night, it's like, okay, put that on my Trello board. You know, here's an idea about this podcast and it's there. I know that tomorrow I'm going to come look at this Trello board and I'll think about the idea then. I don't need to now because I've got a place for it to go. So then as I'm kind of going into my idea board, I can say, okay, well, I have five ideas about this, five ideas about two, five ideas about three, which one makes sense as far as my validation. And if I need to exchange some things and move it closer to the left, that way I'm, I'm kind of bearing down on the best idea for me at the time um, until, you know, and, and as you work forward and are testing some of this, the, these validation points, you know, things move around. Um, but for me, like having a, a home one for, to, to, to store these ideas. So they're not stored in my head and a place to kind of objectively look at if, it, if they're worth the time and effort to put into it is super important to me too. Let's rewind to a moment where it wasn't going to work out. And you were at that moment where, cause I've had several of them over the last 18 months where your mind says, you know what? Life was a lot easier when you just got issued a paycheck and you didn't have to fight for every dollar or you had more certainty assigned towards the dollars. You had to fight for what you were worth from getting a salary. But that moment where your mind says, you know what? You should just go back and be normal. And you have to decide like, is this actually worth it? Or am I running, getting ready to head off a cliff? Is there a moment that stands out where like you had to give yourself a pep talk of no, keep going? You know, every once in a while you have a fantasy, <laughs> like, oh, maybe this could be somebody else's problem, <laughs> you know, but I love it. I was born to do this. You know, um, I love leading. I, I love creating teams. I love learning. Um, I, I like making people happy, you know, um, it's great. And, and I really uh, require a lot of freedom um, in, and agency. So even though every once in a while you're like, Hey, I wonder you go look at indeed or something like, what can I do over here? You know, ultimately it's, it's never going to be a reality for me. And, and often it, it could be because I'm just not credentialed to ever get the kind of job that would be, I'd want, you know, probably through leadership and experience um, for sure, you know, but like, I don't have an engineering degree from tel 
or Caltech. I didn't go to Stanford. Um, I, I, I didn't graduate from college, you know, so I'm out here swinging my high school diploma around, which in, in business, it's all about what can you do, you know, but if you're sitting there, you know, in your best, your best uh, navy blue suit, <laughs> trying to look good on paper, you know, it can be a little bit intimidating. So um, to me, it was kind of a burn the ships moment where it's like, all right, this, this is who I am. This is where I'm going. Um, this is, uh, is how I'm going to make my living. The way you described it, I hate to keep going backwards because at some point I want to go forwards, but you keep giving me more stuff to explore. <laughs> I, besides the bosses that said like, I, this isn't working. I'm in the wrong spot. I'm really interested who helped like curate that sense of curiosity and exploration as a kid in you like what is that because i feel like when you look back there's parts of your life probably that you're like this is what i've been building and this was what i was being led to i just kind of took a wrong turn and now i've gotten the right path but i feel like there's a story that this was like been going on even as i was growing up yeah you know 100 percent. i i didn't have a model i never had a mentor i just maybe just stumbled around you know i was i was the kid with shoveling walks and delivering newspapers and mowing lawns for a little bit of cash, you know, but I think everybody was, and I had jobs through high school. Um, and, and you know, I, I really wish there was like some like presiding, uh, benefactor in my life that was steering me in a great decision, but largely I was just bouncing around because I was so averse to what I was seeing. <laughs> it's just, I just had horrible people that I worked for and did jobs that I, I thought were degrading and and um, weren't giving me what I felt was proper respect as a 16 year old kid, which is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, you know, it, it, it really it really did come from like um, and maybe it's just born in me genetically that, you know, and that could be true with a lot of American people. I mean, at some point, somebody, uh, you know, came here with with stars in their eyes. Um, and, and so maybe that's still just kind of a reverberating into my DNA and, and that I, I just kind of always wanted to do this. And then it got to the point where I was committed to it, where, and I had responsibilities. It's like, oh, well, there is no plan B like this, this has to work. Um, but that's not totally honest either, because as an entrepreneur, particularly as you pile on responsibilities, you got a plan B, C, D, E, F, G, and it's, it's all you at the end of the day, um, holding it up. Um, but you know, that's, that's a part of it, you know, our, our culture and, and business moves very quickly, you know, so you, you have a hit today, it's tanks tomorrow. You got to have a couple more in the chamber and hopefully, you know, that book of ideas is, is always getting replenished with things, um, so that there's always kind of a, a position to pivot to. There's another point that I want to highlight from a parenting point, And then I want to go towards this idea deeper is Early on, when you learn that you can actually make money out of thin air and defy, defy physics, like literally you can materialize cash out of thin air from doing a service and someone trades you for it versus like getting issued from a job. When you learn that feeling early on, and I didn't learn it early on, I got a job and I just kept doing that until I joined the Marine Corps. But when you learn that you can actually create wealth out of nothing with nothing more than your ability to work with your hands, have an idea and have the ability to keep your word and do a good job. Like that almost breaks you to the point where you're like, why would I go back and actually, and then once you even just get into like the ability to at leverage more IRS laws in your benefit of, I get mm -hmm. to actually spend my money bef on my business before the IRS gets a hold of it. And mm -hmm. the IRS only gets a hold of what I take home. They don't get a hold of what I actually work with in my business. 
Like even just to come up those cool mindsets that you don't get when you're a W-2 employee, those ones really can kind of break you. So I'm interested, how old are your kids and maybe what are you doing to help them be better entrepreneurs when they grow up? Yeah, you bet. Thanks for asking. Um, to, to kind of put a pin in the IRS conversation too, be careful with that. Pay your taxes. <laughs> Truth. That pay, your fair, pay, pay your fair share. But there is that pay cool part where you get to like get your money before you have to spend it with the IRS. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, given the, uh, an interest-free loan to the federal government, this feels bad. <laughs> you know, I don't mind paying my fair share, but I don't want to wait to the end of the year to get a return. It's like, that's not a return. You, you, I didn't make any interest on this. How is this a return? That's my money. So that does feel good. Um, so, so my kids also, I think, are innately kind of entrepreneurial in spirit. Um, and have learned some kind of tough lessons early on, which is kind of adorable. Uh, my daughter's a freshman in high school and my son's uh, in seventh grade. Um, and let's, let me think of some of their jobs. Um, you know, they, they tag team and will shovel snow here in Colorado when we get a bunch of snow, which, you know, if they it come be back. be a feast or famine when you're in Colorado there. You can <laughs> yeah. have 80 degree days and then you could have two feet of snow the next day. Well, and it, you know, you could have like a day where it's this light corn stone. Boy, you could probably... You could just sweep it off with a broom and then you get the real wet stuff. And it's like, man, they come back all haggardy and upset with each other over the 20 bucks it took them to make in three hours. <laughs> so <laughs> they've done that. They've, they've done other creative stuff. Um, my daughter got a sewing machine and was making hair scrunchies and selling them at school. And she took, she took like 80 pre-orders. So she brought the fabric and sold the scrunchies before she even knew how to make them which I thought was a brilliant idea. Again, like you're testing the market to see if there's an opportunity here before you actually go through the process of making it on, a, on an idea. So I totally supported that. And then she came back with, you know, 80 pre-orders and was freaking out about how much work it would take. I'm like, oh yeah. This welcome. is a good problem to have. This is it. Yeah. You're like, yeah, you're going to have to crank them out. She's like, yeah, but they're upset because it's taking too long. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, they're going to get real upset. You might have to refund money, but we never do that. We never do that. You know, so she's um, a teenager. She can stay up all night. They don't need as much sleep. <laughs> exactly. And I think she was rescued by COVID. So, you know, <laughs> I, I think she probably has some outstanding pre orders out there for the hair scrunchies. Um, shout out to those parents. If, if you do want to refund, I'll refund that for her. Don't worry. <laughs> um, and my son, this last summer, he had a pretty cool entrepreneurial idea where he went to, the, the playgrounds, you know, at parks, and he made balloon animals for toddlers. Um, well, he had two choices. You could have a dog or you could have an axe. And the axe had used two balloons. And so that one was $3. Otherwise, the other ones were, I think, two bucks. And he would go to the park and just clean up. I mean, he would make $70, $80 at at a park making balloon animals for for toddlers. Because really, all you had to do is get one in one kid's hand and then all the other kids. Yeah. And it's over. It's like those lighted up aluminum things that like the 4th of July that the kids run around with. And like one one kid's running around with it, then that's it. They all have to. And I actually know a couple of people that do the balloon animals. And I actually, during Corona, taught or got the stuff for my daughter to learn how to do it. Because it is one of those random skills that I never even thought about. But I mean, and now in the day of YouTube, there's YouTube videos for every balloon animal and you can imagine. But this is what I want to highlight here is because these lessons right here where you could just take a skill, learn how to do it, 
be really good at it, bring it to the market and make some money. Like that is not something that's a mainstream idea in America. We are taught in school and indoctrinated in many ways that you have to follow this pattern, graduate from college, land your deg degree at some board that's going to hopefully pay you back enough to pay your college debt back. And that that's where you go to get money and you've got to like pay your dues. And then you meet people like this where there was no dues. The only dues was a little bit of hard work and watching YouTube and belief that he could do it and showing up and putting the time in. But he was able to create some real money that he was able to do something with. And the friends that I know I'm connected with, they used to go to Tampa Bay Boardwalk and they crushed like 2,500 bucks in one month. And his brother totally. would bring a tarantula and a scorpion for people to hold and like work through their fears. So like <laughs> real, and they didn't even charge. They were just accepting tips and they were making that much money. So yeah. like the idea, and now he does it for birthday parties, like brings bugs to birthday parties and the kid, his brother does balloon animals and they're kind of a package deal at a birthday party. That idea of how you create money out of nothing. And what I, I want to really highlight, cause this is what veterans struggle with. When we bring value to something that's already inside us, when we just enhance what we already are capable of doing, and that's what entrepreneur really is, is you're taking something you believe on the inside, enhancing it and growing it. Like those ideas taught to our kids early on can really give them an edge that really probably only 1% of the population even has access to, to even understand. Because we often get stuck that we're in this world, we're in this game, that everybody else is making up the rules and we just have to follow them. But as Steve Jobs says, you're just living in a, life, a world of rules that made up by other people. And the only person that says you have to follow them is you. And mm -hmm. you can rewrite those rules, but we don't get that in our mainstream. And so kudos to you to actually just like teach your kids that they can do this and keep repeating it and keep doing bigger and bigger ideas and essentially almost break them for the W2 world. Yeah, totally. Well, and it's if you get them young, they can't do anything else. They're too young to have jobs. <laughs> you know? Thank God for labor laws, because uh, yeah. those little fingers can make really small knots. You know, so they could get a great job knotting things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, they understand it intrinsically because they're like, "I want money because I have needs," and I mean, those needs when you're a kid are really overwhelming. You know, so it's like, "What can I do?" And it's like, "I don't know. What can you do?" You know, and so they start figuring it out. It's like lemonade. That lemonade stand only made 15 bucks. It's like, yeah, people don't really want lemonade. You know, so then that becomes watermelon juice. I'm like, oh, you have you made how much with watermelon? That's pretty good. <laughs> you know, so I like cool what you say it. because it's uh, those moments. I'm sure you as you meet entrepreneurs, you're often like you do what and you make how much like those two moments happen so regularly. And my most famous one, I was at a conference. And this lady was presenting her membership and it, you can go to murdermysteryquilt.com and she makes over a million dollars sending out these quilting squares to these people that subscribe in January. She knows her entire revenue for all year because they book in January and then it closes down. And it's this murder mystery building up to the end of the year that they got to figure out. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> murder mystery squares. Great. Yeah. And they're just quilting. Yeah. I mean, they're just great. Essentially a bunch of grandmas. <laughs> quilting, loving it, doing exactly what they want. And she's making money from it and funding her life that she wants to create. And that's like the part that we don't get um, permission to, unless we just kind of a, become a rule breaker, but not in the context of like the laws, but in the context of the rules that like there's certain gatekeepers to success and that there's really not. I want to go into one more area that I thought about how has been an entrepreneur helped you become a better dad? Because this is something that often can either 
be the thing that makes you a bad dad if you get all into entrepreneurship and forget that your family is the reason why you're doing it, or it actually creates a freedom. And I feel like you're on the guy that creates a freedom for you to be a better dad. So I'm interested to hear, like, how is it, what is it meant for you to be a dad and be hungry to be an entrepreneur? Yeah. You know, I, that's a good question. I, I think that, uh, uh, um, entrepreneurship has made me a better dad because I have a real interest in being a good dad. You know, that's what I, that's what I want. You know, it's like, I ha I'm very ambitious, uh, professionally, but if, if you really strip down what I really want to do, I want to be, you know, on four or five hunts a year and just hanging out with my family, you know? <laughs> so, um, I, I, there's the people that can burn the candle on both ends. I'm not one of those people you know, particularly because a lot of the bulk of my work is creative work and creative work isn't, uh, made better by crushing hours. You know what yeah. I mean? Like burning your brain out to the point yeah. where there's nothing, no juices left to flow to actually create anything. Exactly. The, 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 the source of like creative spark is, is, um, elusive. You can't, you don't know where it is, but you just know where it's not you know, so, so going in too hard with work is counterproductive. You know, I, I think one way that, you know, entrepreneurship makes you better parent too, is it's, it's really hard and it's usually all on you. Like if you have a job, maybe one of the nice things is, is you can blame the person next to you. You can blame your crappy boss. There's, there's a place to, to put your misery, uh, you know, um, you could, of course, assume some personal responsibility and be like, you know what, I'm making the choice to come in here. So ultimately it's me. But a lot of people just fall into the trap of like, I got a crappy boss. My job sucks. My coworkers are garbage. And so you can pass the blame. Um, when, when you, as an entrepreneur, it's like, ultimately, this is all your problem and all your fault. If anything's going wrong, it is on you. And so really wrestling with that in coming to terms with the reality of the situation, as opposed to being blinded by, you know, hope <laughs> or positive intention. Um, I often I describe what you were describing as outsourcing your hope to other people. Like you mm -hmm. can be hopefully miserable when it's everybody's fault that you're there. And yeah. then it's not your fault to do anything about it or your responsibility to change it. You're waiting for that one person to come in your life and say, okay, let's get going, which that person never shows up. Cause I know I was there. I've been that guy and you can't outsource your responsibility for your own happiness. Me too. You know, or what they talk about is like golden handcuffs. Like, wow, I make a lot of good money here. It may, maybe it's killing me slowly and I'm miserable. It's but safe. It must be yeah, good. It's safe. And I want security and like the, you, you have, and that's, that's, totally valid. <laughs> you know, it's a good idea to, to seek, uh, um, security, you know? Um, but there, the reality is, is there's no security. We're all going to die. Um, <laughs> ultimately to be a little macabre. Um, and there's security right up to the point where they no longer need you. Exactly. And, and then, then you're insecure again. And all of that security you thought you had was actually exposed to be an illusion. Um, so if that, the illusion, is torn from your vision quickly, um, then you're, you're rap grappling with kind of some of these principles all the time. Um, so hopefully, you know, as a parent, it makes you a little bit more sensitive. It makes you a little more empathetic to your kids and, and what they're going for. Um, and if, if you're, you're fortunate enough to, to be able to spend the time that then you get to spend, spend the time with your kids, as opposed to being trapped in, in, in an office or maybe a commute that you, that, that takes an hour and a half, two hours of your day. Um, if you need to skip out yesterday, I, you know, I, I had to leave a little bit early to go watch my daughter play volleyball, which is 
wonderful. You know, <laughs> there's, there's no one to ask or, or run it up the flagpoles. Just like, oh no, I cleared my schedule and I'm handling the business the way I see fit. So there's actual real time that you get, you know, my wife was able to stay home with our children until last week, you know, where she returned to work, to work now that our kids are teenagers. Um, so that's, it's just invaluable time. And, and to me, you know, money's really important to me, but like time is the one thing you just don't get back. Um, especially when you have kids, you know, so if you're, and that's the one thing we don't often think about, cause we sign up to be the provider only. And we think that's what we're good for. And that's the only use for us. And so we just keep doing it until one day you're 50 and you look back, well, like, well, no one told me that was going to be the last time that that happened. If someone would have told me, I would have paid attention. And I'm very cognizant of like with my kids of like, sometimes the pain in the butt when they want to be tucked in or when they want one more thing at bedtime. But I'm like, one day it's just going to be gone and I won't know which one it will be. And so I just hang on because one day it'll be gone. It'll be something else. But I want to make sure I hang on to what I had there. And I'm glad you mentioned your wife because I can imagine within your story, you creating freedom in your life, you bringing a freedom of being able to be dad on a more humble level and showing up without all that insecurity that often can kind of plague dads. I can imagine your wife had an opportunity also to grow in her space as a mom. And as, as she entered the workforce again, she's probably entering as a much more capable human being because you helped create the space where she could grow in her own way versus having to like keep stay in survival mode or just keep the kids alive or just get through today type mindsets. And a lot of that pressure from money can really force us into survival. So I can imagine like this whole, your choice to really be not normal and to do it your own way has allowed everybody in your life to really flourish and figure out what direction life has been trying to pull them into, but maybe they've been resistant to. Yeah, totally. And you know, early on in kind of our family planning, you know, my wife always wanted to have a professional career in a family, you know, um, but that switched real quick. <laughs> she, you know, having a nanny and daycare and childcare services, uh, which is great for, for folks. I, I mean, it works really well, but it's just not what my wife and I wanted, you know, so for her to be home with the kids um, was huge. You know, I mean, the, the, the benefit through kind of COVID last year of like trying to get two kids, you know, through online Zoom school um, was really challenging. And like they would have fallen way behind had it not been for her kind of tutelage with them. I mean, she's she has a master's in education on top of it. And she's, you know, a digital marketing expert. So she could use the tools and, and help help them kind of um, navigate online learning. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm super grateful for, for that and for also her kind of commitment to the family and I guess, trust in me. Ultimately, um, I never thought kind of fashion myself a provider. I, I would have been really happy to be lazy and, and write songs and let her do that. I would have been so happy to be a stay at home dad. <laughs> that's what I, after losing my job, as I was mentioning, that's what essentially Corona, like, like made me reckon with them. Like my wife's a kindergarten teacher. Life's crazy for her. The kids were all here. Like, and it ended up being like, I couldn't imagine balancing my work. And even if I had my job or found a new job, like it would have been really chaos to balance everything. And I'm like, in kind of some weird sick way, like losing my job was something that was just preparing me for to be able to say yes, really easily to what I wanted to do. And those 18 months, like I got to spend mornings with my daughter when she was not at preschool and she had preschool in the afternoon. Like 
Was it hard? Yes. Was it the, probably the largest amount of growth I've had to go through? Yes. But I know I'm already like getting Facebook memories of what we used to do together in the morning. And like, I'm so grateful that I slowed down because I can't get that year back and I can't, she's now in school. And so that moment's gone. And if I didn't slow down, I could have probably built everything that I'm doing this year, last year and done it faster, but the price would have been that memory. And what I've kind of, what losing my job really kind of cemented is I'm done trading time and money for memories with my kids. And if it means me going slower, then I'll go slower. Cause honestly, I have the best ideas when I'm actually being a dad, when I'm going out and run a bike ride or just not sitting at my computer, that's where I have the best ideas. Yeah, that's wise. That's true, man. You know, the uh, uh, successful life is one that's long and you grow old and you, you don't look back and you're, you're just plumb with regret, you know, and that's <laughs> everything else falls away at, at the end. It's like, man, what were the, what were the, what's the quality of my relationships, you know? So it's always a good investment as far as I'm concerned. So I want to highlight and kind of wrap all of what you've gifted every veteran listening to this, that entrepreneurship is one of those things that done correctly, it can be a flow of freedom, almost like water flowing in all these different areas of your life that can enhance and change and grow almost like fertilizer as well, where what freedom can create allows everybody to be more of them. And it's not something that's talked about, but veterans are actually wired for entrepreneurship and even more specifically, um, what's the right term? Uh, franchises because their systems and processes and franchises that produce success repeatedly and veterans following processes and procedures is something we do well because moving from unit to unit it's already documented and understanding that what I hope you get out of Ryan's story is that this is actually kind of this modality to really explore more of you that while you may not have the first idea is the idea and there was a lesson that I had to learn waiting almost three years at the base of this mountain is how do you decide which mountain to climb? Like that was a really hard question to climb. I was like, that mountain looks good. This mountain looks good. That mountain looks good. And I realized once I started climbing with this podcast, you actually just need to pick a mountain. And it actually is less important about being the right mountain. But what you most importantly were going to learn is as you climb, you're going to gain altitude and your perspective changes as you go higher. And so once your perspective changes, you can see the horizon you can see the landscape much more clear and you're actually billion dollar ideas on the other side of this mountain, but you can't see it because you need to climb this first one to change your perspective and how you see the world. And you're going to talk to people, your experience, your knowledge is going to change while you're climbing this mountain. Like I stood at the base of the mountain for so long waiting to know, is this the right one? Is that the right one? I don't want to waste my time, but really all I did was waste my time and I would have shortcutted all my process if I would just pick the mountain learn where I need to learn and then seeing the world from that new advantage point and then decided where to go from next. Mm. I love that analogy. Absolutely. And the, the great thing is too, is if you rush up the mountain and it sucks, you can come right back down. Correct. And you learn something like, <laughs> yeah. oh, there's another mountain over there. This exactly. got better view. I'm going to climb yeah. up that one and see how the world looks like over there. And each one of those is a building block in our future success. And failure isn't failure as long as you learn from it. So every time you're doing something, you're learning what not to do. And man, in business, that's very valuable of learning what not to do because finding what you want to do, that's really good. But if you can also figure out who you're not, that's also extremely valuable because you won't waste your time doing things that you don't like to do, you're not good at, and are a waste of your time. So I really appreciate your time here on the podcast today, Ryan. I have one question for every dad that comes on the podcast. What is 
a parting piece of advice that you want to make sure every dad hears from your life to make sure that they apply to theirs? Yeah. You know, um, I think that dads go into fatherhood, being a husband, parenting to do good, you know, to make things better, to be helpful, to be useful. One thing that I've learned is before I rush headlong up that mountain, make sure I'm not doing any harm first. Make sure I'm not making it worse with, even though my intentions are to do, make it better. That's an important one, you know, cause that one definitely will temper, uh, some of that enthusiasm, uh, also make me, uh, maybe a little bit more conservative with my decision-making is, you know, my first intention is to, you know, not make it worse. If out of that, I can be helpful, um, personally, that's important to me. And if I'm, you know, not making it worse, I am being helpful, then maybe I can gather a team around me and we can be useful together. Um, I think also veterans are kind of excel in this as well because they do understand systems and processes and they understand leadership and they understand that organize around principle, you know? So for me, you know, let's not make anything worse. Let's see if we can be helpful and then let's see if we can put a team around and be useful. Um, and then at that point, you know, I think you're on your way to kind of a meaningful life. Well, that is really rich advice with wisdom there. And I mean, there's so many different things of even just applying that to fatherhood of like surrounding yourself with a team of fathers. So that way you have an effective strategy on how to do good, because oftentimes it can feel overwhelming. There's no manual when it comes out. It just comes out screaming and it's looking for something that you don't know what it needs. And that part is the initial feeling that often makes it overwhelming. Where can people get a hold of you, Ryan, and learn more about what Kickcaster does and if they want to look at any of your agency services? You bet. You can definitely check out the website, which is kitcaster.com. Um, kit, like a K-I-T, caster. Um, and if you'd like to speak to me about anything, I'm, I'm always kind of available, more or less, for anything podcasting related. And you can just email me, ryan at kitcaster.com. Well, again, Ryan, thank you for coming to the podcast and sharing your wisdom and hopefully planting some seeds that grow of how entrepreneurship could be this one thing that changes every rule in someone's life and gives them the life that they've always wanted. Absolutely. Thanks, Ben. Every time I talk to entrepreneurs just like Ryan, there is one thing that ultimately comes to fruition at the end of these conversations. I don't know jack shit about the world. And here's what I mean by that. When you think of how you could fit into the world, that you think of all these different companies, industries, you can't even fully fathom in our mind. As beautiful as the mind is, as capable of dreaming and visualizing it is, it still sucks at visualizing how big the world really is. What we really can do in the world through our own life. And the idea a digital marketing agency is a good example because what I've also noticed is there is a lot of digital marketing agencies out there and you're like, there's no way all of these could survive, yet they mostly do and they do it very profitably. And you're like, well, I can't be a digital marketing agency. And you're like, well, they're probably serving a different niche. What I want to highlight here is that whether it would be a niche or an industry, know that you probably don't know shit about the world. I think if every veteran went into a transition with the idea of, I actually don't know shit about how the world really works and how wide it really might be. Because if you've been listening to the podcast, you know, I often always talk about that. We don't have enough width. We don't have enough depth. Well, in this case, I'm really talking about width. 
we don't really understand how wide the world really is and how much money is naturally always flowing in the world that just because we feel broke doesn't mean the money isn't there. Doesn't mean that you can't start something, that you can't start a business and attract money in a world where you might not think an idea could thrive. And podcast guesting agency is one of those where you're like, you know what, there's a couple of different ones out there. We've had some of them on the podcast before. Do we really need more of them? And the answer is yes, because their world is so wide. In the example of podcasting, there is an active about 1.7 million podcasts published. Now, as I say active, I should have put an asterisk on that because active does not mean they're always publishing. And there's only about 700,000 podcasts out there in the English language that are actively publishing. And oftentimes that number is dwindling down as podcasters don't make past that 10 episode mark. Glad to say we have made it past that and farther with episode 143 here. But I want to circle back again. How do we solve the problem we don't know what we don't know? It's those ideas that, man, we have these ideas. We don't know we can plug them in. It's conversations, literally. The solution is what I've been talking to you about over and over, that we need to have more conversations. We need to listen to more conversations just like this on other people's podcasts. Yes, I am telling you to go to listen to other people's podcasts. Find conversations that look interesting. Find those conversations, listen to them, and see what could fit from their world in your world and understand how much wider that conversation could make it. Because when you hear people do things that you don't currently conceptually even understand how that's possible, you realize you don't know shit, which is a good place to start. Because once you know you don't know shit, everything is bonus. Every conversation gets you a wider and wider view. So today, my transition advice is admit to yourself, I don't actually know shit. And I've been a podcaster for 143 episodes now, 167 on the business of fatherhood. And I still don't know shit. There are still days that a dadfluencer comes into my life and I'm like, where have you been in my life? And they've been out there for like 10 years that there's so much wit to the dad space that even a man who's been doing it for so long still introduces people that don't know each other. There are so many people that I was just talking to someone that runs a family organization on a military base. And that man didn't know about another organization. I'm like, man, those two organizations should have known each other long time ago. We don't know what we don't know. And when you assume you know what you know, that's almost where you almost get in trouble. Coming from the place of you don't know what you don't know and working that angle will let you know and shore up your vulnerabilities and create contingencies to make them happen. So long-winded takeaway in this wrap-up, but I want to make sure you realize that you probably don't know shit like I do. But being humble enough to continue to go out there and see how wide the world really is, visit a conference, go anywhere where you can be in a group of people that do a bunch of different things, begin to change how you see the world. Guys, I appreciate every one of you. Just a reminder, we are not doing Fatherhood Fridays till probably on the other side of the new year. So you're gonna be back to me on next Monday. If you have not left an iTunes rating, head on over to iTunes, leave a podcast review. I read every single one of those. And if you resonated with this idea of having a conversation, but it scared the shit out of you, head on over to freedadcourse.com. There is a five audio lesson course there on how to create more friendships and how to use the power of hello and leverage the single most powerful tool we have in our transition that most people don't know how to leverage. Again, freedadcourse.com. I'm signing off and I'll be back again with you next Monday.